0: The book of Matthew chapter 13, are we there? Are you ready for some deep stuff here today? Let's start in Matthew chapter 10. Can someone tell us before you start looking, what, what is really the entire 13th chapter of the book of Matthew about? Now let's start trekking in the word here. What is it? We, yeah, it's, it, it is about, it, it's, it's the, the parable of the sower. For what this is worth, okay? This is the parable of the sower. Jesus makes it emphatically clear. He makes it resolutely clear that if you don't understand this parable, you're not gonna understand anything. If you don't understand the parable of the sower and the seed and then the four conditions of soil and how they work or don't work, you will never ever understand the things of God, the heart of God, the will of God, the plan of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. He said. You're, you're, basically, he's saying, not to you, but back then, to those who really still need to hear it, he's saying, you will never, ever get it. You might be saved, but you are never, ever going to fully walk in the depth that God would have you walk in. So, I'm, I, Which I'm not teaching on the parable of the sower. And, uh, and then, of course, the, the seed that is sown and on the different types of soil. But it is extremely important that you understand. I've taught on it before many times. I'm sure you've heard other teachings on it. You've said it yourself, I'm sure. It is profound. So Jesus, he lays out the parable of the sower. That's what it's primarily referred to as, right? But there again, it's not just the sower. It's also the seed and also the the conditions of the soil. That's almost like this underlying gargantuan narrative in the parable of the sower. Jesus concludes the parable of the sower, verse 9, when he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Tell me where you read that or you've heard that before. Book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. Jesus addresses the seven churches located in ancient Asia Minor, which we would still refer to it in some regards, loosely Asia Minor, Middle East, eastern, Eastern western parts of Europe even, but anyway, of course, all the way down to Rome and all that. So Jesus addresses the seven churches, Asia Minor, Revelation chapter 2, and chapter 3, and all seven of them, he has all but one actually, he has somewhat against them, he says. But anyway, he he gives them he gives them an oversight of what's going on in those given in that given church. And he, he concludes by saying this after he addresses the issue and the people in the given church, and I didn't mean to kind of trail off on this, but from an eschatological perspective, it kind of folds it falls into two camps. Some say that. Uh, that's referring to time frames of the, the, the history of the church since the first century, that churches kind of fell into, be the church of Laodicea, the church of Ephesus, et cetera, that he addressed, the church of Thyatira, uh, which I, I, don't, I, I don't espouse that. I don't agree with that because it's much more accurate. You will find, basically, if, if, if you see church culture throughout the entire world, and I, I've studied and I still do on occasion, not like I used to, though, you will find churches, even this given city, they will fall, CIC falls into one of those seven churches. We fall in the good one, I'll leave it at that. But anyway, so, uh, but you know, there, there, there are churches that, that had completely, uh, they had allowed uh, false prophets and prophetesses, and they had venerated them up and received every, every word they were saying, but they were actually prophets of Satan themselves. There were other churches, they were extremely rich and wealthy, but they had left their first love. And and it, Jesus is standing, and what's interesting when you when you read those scriptures in certain churches, one given church specifically, when he says, "Behold, I stand at the door and knock." Revelation three. If any man hear me, let him open the door, and I will come in with him, and fellowship with him, and he with me. He's not talking to the lost. He's talking to the church, because the church had literally excised Christ out. So you you look at churches in our nation alone, you will see that a given church will fall into one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation that Jesus addressed, okay? So anyway, back to this. He concludes by saying this, like this, almost this cryptic, uh, extremely solemn, and almost um, almost as confrontational warning when he says, he that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Now here, now notice this. Now there, that's in the book of Revelation. That's in the glorified state of Christ when he presented the revelation to John, the beloved, on the Isle of Patmos, actually also actually occurred even the third heavens. But anyway, when Jesus communicated that to John, he did so there again when he ascended from his right-hand place in heaven with God, communicating that to, God, to John, taking him up again even in the third heaven. Now, here's what's interesting. I said all that to set this up. On his earthly ministry... He said those same words. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Now, this is what's interesting. I'm not teaching on developing a hearing ear. I've taught on that in the past. I'm developing, I'm teaching on developing seeing eyes. Because as, as, as we have certain senses, of course, we have our auditory senses, need to say hearing. We have visual senses, we need to say our seeing. We have different types of sense of touch and smell, t- uh, sense of taste. So the, 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 the five senses that God has placed within every human being, we should be utilizing them every day. And you lose one of those senses, you lose a portion of experiential living. You, lo- you, you lose a degree of any one of the five senses that God has blessed his creation with. Because, I mean, come on. One of the reasons that makes life wonderful is experiencing things. And when you experience things, I'm sure you've thought of this. I know this is real simple. This, you know, we're back in what fourth grade biology, basically, right? And that is uh, of course, I learned it when I was about three months old, but I taught myself. But anyway, um, humor. Little, but it's a little. No, nah, it's more truth. What am I saying? But anyway, so so uh you begin to realize that. With, when you lose any one of those five senses, you lose an experience. You lose an experience. Wouldn't it be dreadful to not have the sense of taste? Why eat? You'd only eat to live. You would only eat just to live. Because you, you, could, you, you couldn't even remotely experience all of those different flavors. You couldn't enjoy that double cheeseburger. Stop rebuking me. You know you have them every now and then. Okay, okay. You wouldn't be able to enjoy that wonderful kale salad with nothing on it. You look what you'd be missing out. In the natural, so in the spiritual. God God wants you to experience life fully, naturally and spiritually. He wants us to be able to hear what he says to us. And also, he wants us to see what he's already presented to us. And most Christians go through life with eyes wide shut. Most people go through life with eyes wide shut. You know, maybe, because, maybe it was because my, my grandparents were both, uh, you know, brought up in abject poverty, of course, worked their way out of it, fought their way out of it by the grace of God, and God blessed their way out of it. But uh, they, they appreciated everything. They appreciated everything. Uh, up until their last days, they appreciated everything. It was hard for them to criticize anything because they just appreciated everything. Everything about life and everything about, you know, you just go to go go to a store with them. Everything was beautiful. It's always too expensive. And they never bought anything, but everything was nice. So, you know, you know, you know what happens is we, we become almost desensitized to that which surrounds us. And we really don't experience and fully see what is around us. Like this alone. We live, needed to say, in the valley of the sun. In the summertime, it's not the valley of the sun. It's, it's the face of the sun. And it's the surface of the sun. But it's just from the valley to the surface, real quick. But anyway, so we live in a city that brings in millions and millions, tens of millions of people in a given year, especially during the winter months. Yeah, I, you, you, don't you love it? In the winter, you drive, you drive through Old Town Scottsdale. You see these people in shorts, middle of January, you know, blindingly white legs. It's like, man, put some jeans on, man, or put some toner or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, suntan lotion, you know, put, get some color on. And then the thing about it is, middle of July and August, those places are ghost towns, aren't they? I Ain't nobody around. But anyway, long story short, people come here because of its beauty. We drive through these streets every day, and we don't appreciate the palm trees. I, has, has, have you ever brought anyone from out of state, be it family or non-family, business associate, whatever, they come, out, come in from out of state, and they just start oohing and on over those palm trees? Have yeah. you ever done that? Yeah. I, I remember, remember one of the times when, 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 when Marcus and Jonah Lamb, heard this have been years ago, and uh, we walked out, of course, to the other building, and we walked out of, of, of the house and going over to the main sanctuary. And he stopped and he said, would you look at that? And I say, and I'm saying, you know how, yeah. I don't know what he's looking at. I just said, yeah. I'm faking it until I'm going to make it. But anyway, said, yeah. And then he said, "Joni, look at that. Look at those palm trees silhouetted against the sunset. Isn't that beautiful? Now, see, the thing about it is, we see stuff like that every day, and we don't think it's a big deal. We drive by Countback Mountain, don't even look at it. Yeah, Some of you don't even know that there's a mummy up there. <laughs> and there's a monk that's praying up there right now. Some of you Googling, what in the world is he talking about? But anyway, <laughs> we go we go through things. We don't even see things. You know, oh, see, I, Many reasons I love the rain. So we got one of our two rains we just got, you know, a few days ago this past week, and annual our annual rainfall. So the first time it rained all year, we just got it. But anyway, uh, but man, and when it started, you know, to eventually clear off and all that, you could see everywhere, couldn't you? Yeah. Do you do this? I grew up here, and I remember, I remember a long, long, long time ago, in the galaxy far, far away. That before all this smog came in and all this growth occurred, on virtually every single day, you could see, which I grew up in Peorock, you could see the white tanks, you could see the Estrellas, you could, you could see Squall Peak even back in, in those day and times. You could, you could see everywhere. You saw that this city is literally ensconced with mountains all around it. Now, of course, it takes a rain shower, drive all the junk out of the air, then you begin to see it. And this is what we're like. Many, many will begin to see, the, oh, aren't those mountains beautiful? And then as the smog starts coming back and the crud in the air begins to develop again, then everything becomes hazy. And most people walk around life like that. It's hazy to them. They really don't see, especially in the Spirit, and all the time Jesus is saying, listen, not only do I want you to hear this, but now he says, I want you to see this too. Verse 10, the disciples came to him. This is one of the reasons why they were disciples. It's one of the reasons why they became the apostles. One of the reasons why they, they, they became the foundational pillars that Christ built upon the church is because when the crowd was gone, they were still there. They wanted more answers. They wanted more knowledge. They, they wanted a more in-depth understanding. They didn't want to get sound bites to pass on to other people. They, they, they wanted truth that, that helps you understand the truth. So they come to Jesus just for what it's worth. If you ever want more of God, you've got to keep coming to him when no one else is there. Right. Keep coming to him, a- asking questions, coming to him, and seeking him. And they come to him, and they say, Lord, why do you speak to them in parables? It's really powerful important here. Look at this. Verse 11. He answered and said unto them, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. My, 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 I might not get any farther here today. Do you realize this? Now, I know you know this, but sometimes you need to be reminded of this. When you are a born-again child of God, every promise is expressly and directly to you. It's not something past, and it's not something that just occurred in those given portals of time in the Old or New Testament. Every time... Jesus spoke to somebody and addressed them, and he addressed them, be it to correct them, be it to instruct them, or be it to bless them. That's for us today. That's why the Word of God is still quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, it, meaning it's alive. It's alive and available and ready and willing and powerful to do what needs to be done in our life, right? This, this Word is alive, and it will come, to, come alive when you open your heart up to it, right? I know you know this. That's how you came alive when you opened your heart up to the living word, Christ Jesus. When that occurred, now, every single promise, every, every direct statement that Christ said, it's for you. So when you read this, don't think, oh, well, that was just for the, the 12 apostles. No, this is for you. Turn to somebody and say, this is for you. Verse 11 is for you. Now let's look at it from that perspective. I'm sure you already did, but now that everything's really clear. This is why Jesus said, I speak to them in parables. I speak to the people who only want the loaves and fishes in parables. I speak to those who only serve me when things are going good in their life. Parables. I speak to those, there's the other camp. I speak to those who who only serve me when things are going bad in their life in parables. I've seen it both ways all my life. Things go good, things get good in people's lives, they stop serving the Lord. And I've seen it when things get bad in people's lives, then they stop serving the Lord. Seen it both ways so many different times. So Jesus said, so when I speak in parables, it's for those individuals. It's to give them some incentive, and hopefully they will follow through to get a little deeper, get more serious, and get more grounded and rooted. Back to the parable of the sower, right? Because everyone is going to fall into one of those four conditions. Everyone's going to. You all fall into the, the real fertile ground. Four of you receive that. Let me try that again. You all fall into the real fertile ground that produces 30, 60, fold. Amen. There we go. So look at this. So it says unto you. Somebody say unto me. This is what's been given unto you. God through Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He, they have given unto you that you can understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, you ain't getting this. You ain't getting this. Lord, help me. Help me with this. You have been, since the foundation of the world, prophets and righteous people have desired to see what you see and never saw it. To hear what you hear and have never heard it. Which, actually, Jesus goes on to say that in, you know, let's just do that. Verse 17. For verily I say unto you that many prophets have desired to see those things which you see and have never seen them. And many righteous men have desired to see those things which you've seen, and they have never seen them. Jesus said, do you understand that millenniums before you, since the creation of humanity being placed in the Garden of Eden, they have desired to see and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but they weren't privileged. Not even Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Go down the list. Isaiah, every major, every minor prophet, they desired, they desired to see the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but they were not brought into this world in that given dispensation that we are now in. So Jesus is basically saying, you guys need to understand where you are at in life. He's saying you need to understand what's going on. You need to understand the level of ministry that you are under. You need to understand the revelation that's being given unto you. You need to understand that there are millions and millions and millions of people that would give anything if they could be in your shoes right now and live in this present day and begin to see and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. That's why I don't ever take this, this, referring to the new birth, to Christianity, to the things of God, the ways of God, the plan of God, the will of God, the word of God. Don't ever take it lightly. Don't ever take it for granted. I'm not implying that you do, but I'm imploring us not to. Scores of people, hundreds of thousands, millions of millions and millions of people, actually, no hyperbole there, have died and given their life even waiting for a promise that we now have. Longing and in waiting, desire is to see what we now see, to experience what we now experience. Back to that in the spiritual perspective. They didn't have all five spiritual senses. We do. They didn't see. Now, by faith and by prophecy, word of knowledge combined with the word of wisdom, Isaiah prophesied. In the spirit, he saw the birth of Christ, but he didn't experience it like you do. You know, Peter talks about this very issue when, he, when he's basically there. Again, he's, he's imploring the church that you, you realize, do you realize what you have? Do you realize what and who resides within you? You never fully realize the what until you know the who. And when you understand it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all combined into one, dwells within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you that continually quickens your mortal bodies, quickens your thought life, quickens your, your steps of the Lord every single day of your life. Angels dispatch all around you. If you don't know the who, you'll never know the how and the can and the what. So, so Jesus saying, do you, do you understand that you've been chosen? You talk about brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. I am not a pessimist. I'm a realist. I'm a prag, pragmatist by all means. But above all, I'm a faithist. There again, a faithist, though never, never denies the pragmatist issues of life throughout the world. I I see the world, and personally, I believe that every child of God should see it this way. You should see it there again from a pragmatic view. This world ain't getting any better. It's not getting any better. Now, I'm not here to let you guys down or disappoint you, and I'm sure that doesn't burst your bubble. I'm sure you realize that. This world is not getting any better. Now does that mean we shouldn't try to make it better? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Across the board, Christians should be doing everything to make this world better. First and foremost from a spiritual perspective and say amen. amen. We, we we should be doing all we can do to make this world a better place to live. We should be encouraging people. We should be with, those who are not born again, we should be doing everything we can to endeavor to introduce and bring them to the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's not bad, but that ain't good enough. I'm gonna try that again. I'll try it verbatim. We should be doing everything we can every day of our life to introduce to people and bring introduce people and bring them into the saving grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He that wineth souls is wise. Wisdom is justified of her children, Jesus said. So anyway, as you may have we we should help make this world a better place all we can. It doesn't mean you have to be a doormat and let people treat you bad. I mean that that's totally different. You know, put that, keep that in a different compartment, just focusing, just like this, face value we're talking about, okay? So we should, first and foremost, make this world a better place, spiritually speaking, amen? But across the board, we should, we should make this world a better place. I've said this many times, and and sometimes people, I guess they think I'm joking, but I I tell you, I'm an environmentalist to the heart. Ever ever since I was a child, of course, you know, growing up and experienced wide open spaces, especially in northwestern Montana, just fell in love with that country and beautiful mountains, the trees, the rivers, the creeks, and just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful and um and ever since I was a child in the summertime, when I would see or hear you know see it on the news or hear about it, that there was a forest fire, I mean it almost made me cry as a child, not out of fear, but out of it just it just moved me it's like oh because they're going i I love the mountains i love the, i mean every, all, I love all of god's creation i love i I love the rock formations, I mean, come on, you know. You know, you, you drive through Sedona, you got to say, my, 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 look at that. You know, I mean, yeah, I mentioned Countback Mountain earlier and just, you know, just, just what's in front of us throughout this valley and, and surrounding. You know, you go up to the Mogollon Rim, you go to the White Mountains, you go, my, I, I believe God spent a little extra time in certain places more than did others on the world, but it is a beautiful world, is it not? I personally believe that Christians should be, they should, they should get entrenched and involved in environmental causes. The earth is the Lord's. Did you ever read that one? It's in the Bible. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's. We just focus on Psalm 23. Verse 24, chapter 24, verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yeah. You, you, know the, you know the main reason why God allowed his people to go into Babylonian captivity, then Medo-Persian captivity for a total of 70 years, don't you? And I'm talking real fast. You just listen to it again and you slow it down. But you know why, right? Because they, they didn't take care of the Earth. you know of the main, one of the main, there were 10 main reasons. That's like top of the list. God told him, this is how you treat the land, this is how you treat the vegetation, this is how. Now no, no I'm, I'm not some environmentalist, wacko, uber liberal. I think you know me better than that by now. You see, th- th- this is what bothers me. This is what bothers me. The world hijacks everything that Christians back out of. Christian Christians back out in many regards, except the wealthy ones and those who really know the Word of God, Christians back out of the monetary system. Why are you doing that? I ain't going to pay your bills. I'm not responsible to pay your bills. You better understand how money works. And so what, what we've done, we, we, we've, allowed, we've allowed the world to hijack things where where the Christian, where children of God should be front and center in. You, know, you, you really study world history and you begin to understand that those who understood and those who didn't leave areas of society in a vacuum, they actually helped to change the course and history of this world in a better place. Real quick, like on this, fascinating. Which I've known this, so I was reading more detail about this. Uh, from a monetary perspective, historical perspective, do you realize that I know, I know you, you at one time, you, you knew this, uh, at one time during the Ottoman Empire, the Muslims, Islam, pretty much monopolized the ancient world. They enslaved more people than had ever been enslaved. During their rule and reign, they had more people enslaved than any other time in the history of the world, just for what that's worth. They enslaved everyone. They enslaved people from Africa, people from Asiatic countries, and, and especially people from European countries the Slavs especially, from Slovenia and, and, and Yugoslavia and, of course, Eastern Europe and all of that, which at that given time were just referred to as Slavish people, and which, which eventually translates into the word slave. Most of the slaves during that time, especially in the Ottoman Empire, they're all white. They're Eastern, Western European. But anyway, but they, they enslaved people. They, they had no respecter of enslavement. They enslaved people, indigenous people, you name it, across the board. Do you, do you realize this? I know this is totally off track in some regards, but it'll tie in, just hear me out. Do you realize this, that if it weren't for Jewish people, Jewish bankers, in a few, very few, free cities and countries in the world, they backed, they monetarily, they backed armies to eventually overthrow the, the Ottoman Empire. And what's interesting about this, when you, you, you understand the backstory, the backstory, the backstory, is that everyone else, all other types of people, groups of people throughout the world, they were backing out of every area of life and just trying to barely, barely live themselves. But natural Jews didn't. They said, if we back out of the monetary system, I mean, this will preach if you're getting this. If I'll tie it in. If we back out of the banking system and we acquiesce that to those who are our enemies, who will eventually kill us, there's no hope for us. So long story short, they backed armies that helped to defeat Islam from slaughtering millions and millions and millions of more people. So anyway, long story short, back to this issue. Wherever a child of God backs out, there's a vacuum left and the devil makes sure the world steps in. We as Christians need to take care of this planet. If I were king of the world for at least one day, I'd banish plastic, bam. No more plastic. Nowhere. Pastor, what does it have to do with getting to heaven? Well, I'm going to get more rewards because I just said that. I'm serious. It breaks the heart of God. You, you should read the scriptures that pertain to that very issue. It breaks the heart of God when he sees people trash his earth. You know, this belongs to God. We're just stewards over it. Yeah. By the way, everything you've been given and blessed, you're just a steward over it. Yeah. It ain't yours. Yeah, no, right. So I said, well, well oh, it is mine. I, I'm, I'm debt-free in that area. Nah, it's still God. You ever done this? Walk through your house and realize this? Not only probably did someone else build it in your case and all that, but do you ever realize this? Have you ever really thought about this? Everything in it, God made it. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it is a manufactured product, God still made the components of the manufactured product. And we step out and we don't take care of this earth, That's part of, probably because I was a Boy Scout also, is that you learned this. You leave your campsite better than when you found it. I'm preaching to somebody here today and I, because, bottom line, God wants us involved and have our senses in every area of this world so that we can be better stewards of it, better stewards of our life even. Helping anybody here? Has, has has Pastor crossed over to the other side? What's going on here? Has nothing to do with it. Has all to do with seeing, with seeing the, the effect right now. There again, I I mentioned plastic, and I can you mention a few other things about our environment that it just, it is just it, it is it is actually it is it is polluting and tainting and destroying portions of our environment. Now the issue is this: I use that as an illustration, even though I believe in that, but to make this point. And that is this, if you don't, if you don't take care of any given area of life, and if you can't specifically see the long-term effect, inevitable destruction comes in that area in your life. If an addict would just stop for one moment even, one day, and and see the long-term effect, There again, it's that most people don't see. They don't see that one decision now is going to have an effect, good or bad. They don't see that what I'm doing now can either help or hurt others or myself. They don't see this is why we do this. Many Christians, they don't see why you should tithe. They can't see that. They can't see beyond holding on to money. They can't see by faith that if I release it, it'll come back to me, good measure, press it down, shaken together, running over. They can't see that. So they make a decision for the moment. They make a decision for the moment that can have an adverse effect down the road, that can bring destruction to their environment, metaphorically speaking. Helping anybody? Everyone ready to leave now? Okay, good. There we go. <laughs> Notice this. Whoever has to him shall be given. He shall have more abundance. Simple as that. Well, the guys who was doing some work for me yesterday... Uh, subcontract, good guy, and he just he's been in the construction industry for about forty years, and and he'd never met my son James, and we were talking. I introduced him. So we were talking a little bit, and and um, he speaks good English, but it's just you know a little it's a little broken. He speaks much better English than I do Spanish, though. But um, anyway, then you know he just came out. Of, he, he's going to get married and all that, and just different things. And uh, and and one of the things that this gentleman said to James, he said. Here's some good advice: work hard and save your money. You know, I mean, I know it's, that, that's so simple. We we don't even give it any credence anymore. You know, we want to hear something triangulated. You know, to the 10th power, seven ways from Sunday. You know, and then put in a book, you know, with all the hype and wrapped up in a, in a bow, and you know, get all get all the machines after it. And we're oh, this must be good. And bottom line, after you read 183 pages, I say, yeah, work hard and save money. Spent all that money, Madison Avenue Marketing Techniques, you know, got out. of course, they made millions. But, anyway, bottom line is this. we got to get back to this. Is that you ought to be able to see that when you begin to see things and I perceive them accurately, more will be given unto you. There will be more abundance. Those who can't see, those who don't have, even from them shall be taken away. Those things that he doesn't have. Therefore, I speak I to them in parables because they see and see not. I'm finally getting the crux of the message here. He so said, I'm speaking them in parables because they, they see, but they actually can't see. He, he, he does that because he wants everyone to see, but he wants you to apply a concerted effort. Because this doesn't come easy, and it doesn't come overnight. Of course, we live in a society of instant success. Overnight success, right? Everyone is, right? And then you begin to really know that person or you begin to read about that person they've been doing that for 38 years there's no such thing as it so Jesus is saying listen I want you to begin to see what most people can't see the main reason that people achieve greatness in life be it in the spiritual realm or even the natural realm who aren't even born again is because they can see what other people can't see every time something occurs in life you put 100 people together and ask them what they see, you're going to probably hear about you 90-plus know, different things they saw. And bottom line, it comes down to this. When you see something, do you see a problem or an opportunity? I mean, you've got to get to this point. When, when things occur in your life, you cannot see it as a problem. You cannot see it as, as oh, it's over now. You have to see it as God setting up the biggest breakthrough in your life that you're ever going to see. Amen. You have to see problems. You have to see difficulties. You have to see challenges in the light of the Word of God that everything you see is nothing more than an opportunity for God to reveal himself bigger in your life. Amen. However you're seeing something in life, you've got to see it like this. I see that God is going to do something great in my life. Something great in my life. For more information about our teaching resources, visit our website at ciclive.com.